I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. I want to give a shout out to Finn.com for supporting the Rebel Radio show. I've been traveling all through Europe the last couple of weeks. We got accepted to the Can Lions Advertising Festival as an official podcaster. So I've been doing interviews on site in the south of France. And I used Finn to help me with travel arrangements, my hotels, my flights, all kind of stuff that um, would have just taken me hours and hours if I had to do it myself. But Finn takes care of those administrative tasks to make me more productive and, and uh, allow me to use my time in a better way. I also used Finn to have him do research on my interview guests. Essentially, they're my assistant while I'm on the run. And um, it's, it's really a great service. I've been using it the last couple months. And, uh, and it's, it's made a big difference for me. It integrates easily with my email, my calendar, um, and there's easy access through the website, through email, through the mobile app, really any way you want to reach them, you can reach them 24-7. You should try it yourself. I think you'll love it, and I'd love to hear what you think. Check out finn.com slash rebel to try Finn for free. I'm going to hook you up with a free trial because I like you. Finn.com slash rebel. I'm very excited to introduce Rebel Radio with Josh Levine and a special guest, Ali Shaheed Mohammed. Thank you. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. <laughs> this is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I talk to the Rebels who are shaping youth culture. We find out how they do it, why they do it, and what you can do to get a little piece of the pie for yourself. We're also the only show that brings you new music every week from our friends over at EDM.com. Today I have a very special three-year anniversary episode. I want to give a quick shout-out to everybody who supported us for the last three years, all of our guests, our sponsors, and our listeners, thank you for participating in this little experiment that we're trying to do. Uh, today, this is a great one. I know I say that every time, but today is true. I'm 
coming at you live from the LA Times Festival of Books news story. I was live on stage with Ali Shaheed Muhammad from A Tribe Called Quest. Uh, quick shout out to the LA Times, to my man Clint Schaff, who you'll hear at the beginning giving us a um, glowing introduction. I really appreciate Clint and everything he did for us. And I'm really excited to share this interview with you, Ali. If you don't know him, you have uh, been missing out. He's one of my favorite DJs. He's the DJ and producer of A Tribe Called Quest. Also produced uh, in partnership with Jay Dilla and Q-Tip. Made records that you know and love with D'Angelo, with Lucy Pearl. He was one of the founders of the kind of neo-soul genre. And lately, he's making music with Adrian Young, specifically the Luke Cage soundtrack, which you may have seen on Netflix. He's a, it's a great interview. Uh, he shares some really personal stories about coping with loss. If you know Ali's story, you know that he's had some big losses of people really close and important to him and to all of us in his career. And so he talks about that. Um, and he gives us some really direct feelings about the state of hip hop today. It's a fantastic interview coming up with Ali Shaheed Muhammad right after our EDM.com track of the week. track of the week get over to edm.com for more new music and let's get into the interview with Ali Shaheed Muhammad at is creative storytelling beyond books. It turns out that a lot of our, uh, a lot of the talent we have here um, have also written books. So um, Moby was just here, he's doing a book signing elsewhere. And um, so we love storytelling across all mediums, including books. But uh, this zone of the festival is celebrating podcasts, virtual reality, um, uh, television and film, and music, and more. And so thank you for being a part of this first inaugural experience of New Story. Um, one of those areas I mentioned was podcasts. As you know, podcasts have really revolutionized communications. And so this, this stage, for the most part, for the next two days, is all podcasts. Um, today, it's my distinct pleasure to introduce 
what is, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a journalist, so I can take opinions. My favorite podcast, Rebel Radio. <laughs> um, I, uh, Josh Levine here in front of me um, runs Rebel Radio, which shines a light on cultural pioneers and the influences uh, behind them. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Josh and the work that he's doing. I think he's a great example of how podcasts are bringing more oral history to light of important people who have shaped and continue to shape culture. Um, so I really want to thank Josh, and uh, Josh has been doing that himself as a marketing professional and, and journalist throughout his career. Um, with him, all right, yeah, I'm giving it up for Josh, right? Uh, <laughs> thank you. And with him, as much as I love Josh, I'm very excited that uh, Ali Shaheen Muhammad um, of A Tribe Called Quest fame is here with us as well. And not only is Ali um, one of the greatest producers in music history, Huh. And, and, and members, <laughs> that, that is by no means an overstatement. That is an absolute truth. Um, and he's done many other things, including his own distinct podcast that is very well recognized called Microphone Check, which I'm sure you'll hear more about today. So um, Ali, with his work and podcasts, his, of course, his very uh, well-known work in music with many different groups, including Tribe, as well as Lucy Pearl and others, um, and additionally, he's also scoring films. Uh, uh, you hear a little bit about that and television shows, uh, including one of my favorites on Netflix. So um, I'm very excited to introduce Rebel Radio with Josh Levine and the special guest, Ali Shaheed Mohammed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Grant. That's amazing. It's really hard to hear nice things said about you. Uh, <laughs> so I appreciate you starting us off with that. Uh, first of all, so welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming and being here with us. Um, and I'm excited to be here. Thanks for doing this, man. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Um, before we begin to the sound person, I am an extremely soft-spoken person, so to make sure that everyone hears, could you turn me up? Just wanted, sorry. Good call, that's Say that. That's what I do. But thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. When I, so I created Rebel Radio three years ago to, as Clint said, to share stories that are important to me and, and the people that are shaping the culture that I care about. You were at the top of my list from the very beginning as one of the people that I envisioned talking to. Um, mm. And not only because you're the DJ of A Tribe Called Quest, which is one of my favorite groups of all time, but that you're, you're so much more than that, that you're... <laughs> Thank you for uh, saying that. I, I hate doing this because it feels so <laughs> uncomfortable. And don't I know be I'm uncomfortable. Loosen up. That's right. Um, no, I don't hate doing this. I love doing this. I know you do. But you're also a great podcaster that's inspired me uh, with your show, Microphone Check. Um, and also, you know, you've gone on to make some of my other favorite records with Lucy Pearl, with, uh, you know, working with D'Angelo, the Luke Cage soundtrack, uh, which is amazing. And so, so anyway, I'm excited to dig into all that. My, the first question I always like to start off with, because I think it tells us a lot about who somebody is. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, but I'm going I'm to give you a second to think about it, and I'll, I'll share my answer while you think about yours. But do Cue you that Jeopardy music. Oh, that's good. <laughs> we definitely need sound effects. Um, do you remember the first record you ever bought? Yes. Damn. I was hoping... <laughs> I was, it's my eighth birthday, and it was during the summer of 1978, and um, I was meeting my mother's sister for the first time, 
and I lived in New York City, born and raised in New York. And um, yeah, New York in the house. And um, my aunt lived in North Carolina. And so we are taking the summer trip to visit her and it was doing my birthday. And so I got a little bit of birthday money mm, and I went and bought uh, a 45 by Peter Brown called Dance With Me, first record. Great, that's a great first record. And yeah, because there's a lot of rhythm in that song. Um, uh, vocally, he was just doing sort of like, I don't know if you, anyone here know Peter Brown at all? Had like one really solid album back then. Um, mm-hmm. And his vocals sort of borderline like uh, Steely Dan a little bit sometimes, but it was disco, but soulful. Mm. So, I don't know. It caught my attention. But um, that was my first record. That's a good answer. And, and I was going to buy you some time, which obviously you didn't need. Some people get st- stuck trying to figure that out. My first rap record. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. I mean, it, how do you forget your, your first, like... Well, I, so, here's what I was going to say. Okay. That's a great... You bring up a good point. Here's what I was going to say while I was giving you some time is that my answer that I like to tell is uh, there was a vinyl shop around the corner from my house in San Francisco. I walked in and bought a copy of Double Dutch Bus. Ooh. It was actually Double Dutch Bus, and then it was two records, and then The Adventures of Super Rhyme, which uh, Jimmy Spicer is... is that was a, my first 12-inch, first oh, nice. rap 12-inch, 1980. But that's not the true answer. What do you mean? For me. Oh, okay. That's the answer. I, that's what I want to be the answer. Oh. But the truth is, I don't remember, because mm. I bought some 45s before that. There's one, the one I do remember was Smokey Robinson, Tell Me Tomorrow. How old were you? Seven, eight. Oh, we're about the same age, so something like that. Um, but I bought, but there was others. But I remember playing that record. I loved it. And then I kind of got tired of it. And so I turned into, into a Frisbee and just... And then I ended up breaking the record. And I, I didn't learn until later that records are something you want to keep and have forever. And I still have that copy of Double Dutch Bus and Super Rhyme. Mm. But anyway. Super Rhyme was my very first rap record. That's a great record. It goes one for the money, two for the show. You got my beat, now here I go. You see this DJ, he gets down. Mixing up, he's while go around with a hit up. The hop, you just don't stop. You rock to the beat till it makes you drop. Yes, I'm one of a kind. I'm super rhymes and I'd like to say hello. I still see the cover, red outer cover. The label was gray and black. And I wish the rest of my brain, uh, in terms of memories, was as connected as that because yeah. if you if you start to venture off in some other areas I think you probably will <laughs> I'm gonna tell you I don't remember yeah I'm being honest that's understandable <laughs> uh does that, do you guys know that super rhyme record go check it out it was it was ahead of its time I'll say uh for anybody that knows it the first two verses were incredible the third verse the song completely falls apart he, he had no idea what to say on the third verse. But you have to give it to him. See, side A was 12 minutes of just bars, nonstop rapping. 
And then you flip side B, and then he continues. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That's how Q-Tip and I actually bonded in I high mean. school. Because it's a 20, 24-minute record, and he knew all the lyrics to it. Wow. And then and he was in class singing, and I, like, turned around and was like, and I was saying the rhymes with him. Uh-huh. So I never knew anyone else that knew the full, like, and we bonded off that record. That's great. Well, we're glad that you did. Yeah. We're proud to have LinkedIn as a supporter of the Rebel Radio Show. I know you use LinkedIn for networking. Everybody does, pretty much. But you may not know that you can use it for hiring. If you're building your business, if you work for somebody, you need to, you need to hire people. I'm hiring people all the time. And I use LinkedIn every single day for every job. And it makes a huge difference for me. of America is already on LinkedIn, and it's so much better than putting jobs up on the job boards, which people aren't really checking. You might check it if you're you're actively looking for something, but you're not really checking the job boards the way you're checking LinkedIn. People, you're on LinkedIn every day. In fact, 22 million people a week are on LinkedIn checking for jobs. Don't miss out. Go to linkedin.com slash rebel. I'm gonna give you $50 towards your first job post. Go today to linkedin.com slash rebel for your $50 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Um, so I want to jump ahead a little bit because, you know, I know that you were DJing and then met Tip and, and a tribe called Quest formed. Um, what, what was the first big break for tribe? Or was there a point where you realized that this was going to be your, your career path? Well, we knew it. We knew it when, well, he asked me to join the group. Originally, the group was Fife and Q-Tip and Jerobi sometimes. And I'm not saying that to be cliche. He really was. Yeah. Um, he was he was sort of the, the beatbox, and he was younger, so he was somewhere else with it and um q-tip had another dj at the time and um i don't know what happened with them but he had heard that i was a dj and and asked me to make tape and told me about this group and i said cool so we started rehearsing and it wasn't really until um we started doing demos at my place that Whatever happened before me getting into the group, it it didn't move. Mm. And my uncle goes by the name of Uncle Mike. I have to credit him because he had a pre-production set up. So Q-Tip would come over to Brooklyn and on the weekends, and we would work on demos. And it was through that that chemistry between he and I that we knew we had something special. Now this is like 1985. Um, Benita Applebaum was actually a demo that had come out of that union mm. with the two of us. Cool. Um, when we uh, also Q-Tip had uh, an older sister who was tied to the Zulu Nation, and we had given those guys our demo, and they kind of were like, "Eh, we 
we don't like you guys. <laughs> and you probably should break up and do something else. Wow. Seriously. And so it was very, it, it, it could have been discouraging, but we knew that um, we were making something that didn't sound like anything else that existed at the time. Mm-hmm. And we also attended high school, uh, Murray Bertram High School in Manhattan. It's a high school for business careers. Uh, the Jungle Brothers attended that high school. Um, Brother Jay from the X-Clan, Paradise, who was also um, part of X-Clan also, went to that school. So while we're learning about marketing, accounting, a pre-law and all these other things and spent lunch hour beat banging on tables and rapping. And the Jungle Brothers, one of the Jungle Brothers, Mike G, his uncle's DJ Red Alert. And so the JBs got blessed with the deal and they had it, I think straight out the jungle was the mm-hmm. first 12 inch. And now, you so. know, fast forward from 1985 to like 1988, we're seniors in high school and they had a deal. And because we all hung out together, made music together, um, spent many a nights uh, at Africa's house on the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. His mom and dad would rent movies for us on the VHS and order pizza. And I say that because as a New Yorker, like if you see on television sort of that, that lifestyle is suburban. Mm-hmm. It's not really an urban way of doing things. Sure. And so. But you guys were in Bed-Stuy. I was in Bed-Stuy. Q-Tip was in St. Albans, Queens. Africa was in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, which from Bed-Stuy, it would take, I would have to take a train into Manhattan just to get back into Brooklyn. He oh, lived wow. that far away. Wow. So anyway, I say all that to say that when um, the JBs got put on, they looked back and said, we bring you guys with us. You have a song, another song on the demo that we had was called Black is Black. And so they featured it on their first record. Mm-hmm. And um, that song was about... Um, speaking about just being black mm-hmm. and, and how special that is. Mm-hmm. And we were 17, we wrote that, that record. And that's when everything really started to take off. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm from the tribe called Quest. And I'm here tonight with the Jungle Brothers. And we're about to get in this thing called Black is Black is Black is Black. I forgot to say, I know Uncle Mike. You know Uncle Mike? Uh, well, I don't know him. I met him with you. So we, um, although this is really our first time ever meeting, but, you know, I was producing events for Scion. Way oh, back that's in the day. right. And oh, we yeah. got to book all these amazing DJs, uh, famous DJs, incredible DJs. Not all of the famous DJs were incredible DJs. So you, sometimes we book people for their names, and you kind of never knew what you were going to get. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, Ali was a guy that obviously we knew who he was. We wanted to have him on the show. I had nobody had ever heard you DJ in in our circle. So um, and it was it was amazing. It was one of my favorites of that entire era. Thank you. And it was it was like a big surprise. Thank you. And I got with Uncle Mike that night. Yeah, Uncle Mike. um, Uncle Mike, his reputation precedes like that is he hasn't his name in the music industry is Uncle Mike, but he is my mother's younger brother. Mm. He was the rap uh, 
promotions director at Columbia Records in the 80s and then moved over to, to uh, Electra and, and helped to uh, bring ODB to the world, mm. um, um, leaders of the new school, Brand Nubians, Pete Rock and CL Smooth. And so in that arena, everyone just called him Uncle Mike and it, it really tripped people out when it was like, this is your real, real uncle. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He taught me how to DJ when I was eight years old. That's and crazy. That's why I'm a phenomenal DJ. Now, <laughs> I don't have mixtapes out. I strongly dislike, I'm trying not to use the word hate anymore unless I really hate something. So I strongly dislike when people record my, my DJ um, performances. Because, we did not, for the record. No, and I'm, not, I'm not charging against that. But it's because... Um, I want people to get that experience for the first time. And I am, I just actually sent out an Instagram post about this like 20 minutes before we got yeah, yeah. here. And I said something about me being poor at self-promotion because I don't like to promote myself at all. So um, that's nice to hear, especially, you know, other DJs when they tell you, yo, yo. you know, you just get that. Mm-hmm. Like Rich Medina was like one day, yo, why are you doing this? You don't, you've musically have done so much and you're doing these, I was doing these weekly parties in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. low key, small hole in the wall spot in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And all the baddest DJs would come there just to just show up. Show up. Yeah. And I don't, you know, didn't get, an inflated ego. It's just I like playing and discovering music and sharing it with people and being aware of tempo. Mm-hmm. You have to have a connection yeah. with, the, with the music and with the people. And so. Well, it's funny. I, I, this is not what I want to talk about, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. Um, that, you know, there's a lot of discussion about how technology has made it easier to DJ you can not pay attention to tempo and there's a lot of other things that you can let the machines do for you. Mm-hmm. And my sense of that is that those DJs are cheating themselves that feeling of really being connected to a crowd and really, and, and the music at the same time and, and the, the listeners too, but you know, the audience can go there and have drinks and have a good time. And like, you know, the music can be secondary to them, but the DJs are sort of missing out on that experience. Yeah, I don't want to address the technology too much. Okay. I mean, I I believe in technology, and I think that there are um, aspects of it that have great merit, and you can be incredible with it, and then there are things that make one lazy and not really, as you're saying, uh, appreciate, you know, your purpose. And so I strive to understand my purpose in everything that I do and, and try to live up to that. So, okay, what I do want to talk about, though, is you, you come across as a very humble guy, soft-spoken, as you mentioned. Um, I've heard you say that there are times when you felt like you need to be more aggressive. Yeah. Um, and yet, a lot of good things just seem to happen. Yeah. Not, not to say you haven't created them, but um, how has that demeanor held you back? Mm. And how have you learned to adapt to make that work for you? Um, it has held me back in... I 
You know what? I don't really think it, it has held me back. One can look at it and say that it has held me back um, if you're looking at a financial level in terms of productivity, what you contribute, and you begin to compare it to other people who are insanely rich, who have not done, you know, half a quarter mm-hmm. of what you've done creatively, um, and and so on and so forth. And so, if you measure some of those producers who have a huge spotlight on them, um, you may look at that and say, "Well, something you did held you back," you know. But um, and sometimes if I my ego really goes there, <laughs> sure, you know, I'm sure it does. Sometimes. I'm like, man, <laughs> one phone call could take care of this whole envelope that's sitting on my table right now. Right. But I believe, and this is my own personal belief, is that everything that I do will have an effect. And because part of what I do goes into the public space, it goes into it's this energy that's broadcasted across the world. Um, I feel extremely responsible for it. Mm. And so I don't want to do things that will disrupt nature or, you know, throw it off in a way that when it, when it, when it comes back, I'm going to regret it. Mm-hmm. Or that my mother and my father would not be proud of, or my great-grandmother specifically. So there are opportunities that, that come and would change your environment in a way that you think, well, this can be excused, but maybe not. Also, um, I don't always believe that Again, another one of my personal things. I don't always believe that um, the expectation of reward is to be gotten right now. I don't know if that makes how, how sense. Meaning, There's other ways that you can be rewarded and you might not be aware if that's what you want. Okay. Like even coming here today, that's a, that's a reward. You know, being invited here is a reward because I don't know what you all are doing out there in your world, but you're sharing yourself by being here right now. And I can take something that I've learned and broadcast it, pass it on, and who knows I see a little one sleeping there, but maybe there's something that I'm saying <laughs> that's going to set into the soul, and that's right. You know, it'll yeah. it'll go on. It's like you know, being a teacher, for an example, they're not celebrated. It's the most rewarding, fulfilling thing, I would think. Right? Sure. You, you show up and take the abuse, especially these days, <laughs> mm-hmm. to try and guide a younger a mind. And so that's what I mean. Like you know, there are other yeah. Accolades. 
Um, but what keeps me grounded is that the other. What, what keeps me? What was the second part of that? Um, just like how how I'm fascinated. Like we we each have a unique style. Yeah. Every one of us has strengths and weaknesses, and there are these kind of archetypes that we tend to believe. Oh, I remember the other side. Okay. I'm sorry. I just remember. Go ahead. What keeps me? Yeah. From being aggressive is, um, I'll give you a real personal story. Like, this last Tribe Called Quest experience was not great for me. It was great for the fans. Mm. There, you know, there's behind-the-scenes things. And it's the type of thing that I think would push... It would push a person to... express themselves in a very destructive way. And something that was established and built as beautiful as what we've done musically, it, I think if you're not cautious, you can destroy your legacy. Mm. And so um, and there's a song on that album called Ego, which greatly well, not greatly, but in a, in a fine way, tries to address it. Um, and it, it's such a, a satire in comparison to life. And that's what artists do. We, we try to take what's really happening, be honest with it. Be vulnerable enough to be honest. It's hard to really make the subject positively stated. Some may hate it, and some may overrate it. It's a top story, and you rarely see a trend. So all you psychoanalysts pull out your pad and pen. It's called the Come ego. up with an idea, and no one seems to get it. And every time you mention it, they stare like you're two-headed. But one day in your cubicle, your idea really comes to view. Your boss is walking by, um, But if the ego's not checked, then you can be destructive. And so I had to check my ego to not destroy mm. a bad experience. And I'm only sharing this now because there needed to be time to talk about it. And so I hate to, excuse me, I don't mean to sound so cryptic um, because I'm not gonna share everything, but a portion of it just to say that you build things with people and it's special and you wanna remember that part and specifically, before you go and be destructive, you want to pray about and remember that you prayed about things before. Remember that you sort of highs and lows together and what you created and let that be in the forefront of something that's not great mm -hmm. feeling-wise. Um, and that's my nature, and I've always been that person of, one, trying to be a bridge, um, which sometimes sets me back. Sure. Because I'm trying to keep everything together, and it's right. like, nah, it's supposed to fall apart. Like, mm. you're, you're preventing it um, by trying to see the good in all things. Some, sometimes things are just not good. Yeah, I want to I wanna talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So, at, you know, at the risk of being too dark, but I know you've lost a lot of people that were important to you and that you're publicly tied to. Mm -hmm. Some of those we share, you know, I've, I knew Chris Lighty for a long time, 
the captain was a close friend of mine, the guy that signed Tribe Called Quest to Jive, committed suicide. Um, and then, of course, you know, Dilla and Fife. Um, how have those experiences helped you to learn about yourself? You know, driving here today, I passed um, Forest Lawn and I saw a huge gathering. And I just looked. I was in an Uber, so I wasn't. I wasn't physically driving, so I was able to take it, take life in, which I don't always, I'm not always able to do. And I looked and saw, and I saw that there was a huge gathering there. And um, it's like, wow, I don't know who that person was, but they must have been loved. Mm. They must have really affected people in a way. I mean, it was massive. And the cars that went down the, the, the place where you parked, leading up to the final burial. I mean, the cars just kept, they were parked, and there was just a lot of cars. And so um, I had a moment to really think about when it's my time um, and think about some of the people. Often when I pass Forest Lawn, I think of Dilla and a couple other people that, sure. that um, I know are resting there. Um, that's a difficult question to, to, to respond to. Um, Chris Lighty was, Chris Lighty was Tribe Called Quest manager. And um, my relation, we, you know, we all have different relationships. Everyone thinks their relationship with someone is more important than <laughs> others, right? But, Chris, my bond with Chris was extremely strong and tight because he was the road manager for the Jungle Brothers. And Chris was part of the Violators. Violators held DJ Red Alert down when carrying his record crates, making sure any troublemakers in the party got a, let me, let's take you back here and stop messing up the money and all these things we're building. Like, you know, Chris, and Chris was the youngest of the violators in the hottest head of all of them. <laughs> and um, I don't know, it was something about him that was seductive to, to my, my young self. And we just, we bonded. And he used to say, I got to go have a conversation with my little brother down in Maryland. I'm just going to drive down there real fast. You want to go with me? Now, we're in New York City. Chris would be in Maryland in like two and a half hours. Because <laughs> his mom said, you better come talk to your brother. And so he would often grab me, of all people, you know. And so he and I, we bonded greatly. And so, fast story, because I know we don't have a lot of time, right? No, this is great. <clears throat> um, and Chris and Red Alert were having some, they were sort of on the outs. And Red Alert was DJing and partying. And um, we thought that, and at the time, DJ Red Alert managed us. And we thought maybe we needed someone a little that would be in the office at nine when the rest of the record industry was <laughs> waking up and not 
DJing all night and showing up at maybe 12, 1 p.m. So anyway, I asked Chris to manage Tribe. And he taught me so much. It's, it's, when you're around someone, you see how they live. And you're just, you're just with that person growing when they're growing. Um, The attributes you understand about a person, sometimes they're things you just don't. It's just life. You live in life. Um, and sometimes when you take a step, because I would take a step to wonder how and why is Chris so successful. But he was the type of person where he would wake up before everyone else and be the last person out of his office. And when he had like 50 employees, he still was the first person there, hmm. you know, and the last person. So. Um, he, our first tour, first real like arena tour was with Public Enemy. I think it was like 1990. And they gave us seven minutes. Wow. <laughs> we talking Public Enemy, Kid and Play, uh, Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince, Ice T. Um, I know I'm forgetting a few more other people, but they gave us seven minutes. <laughs> and we were hurt by that, but also <laughs> determined to make sure whatever happened in that stage in seven minutes, no one would ever forget it. Um, and so likely, you know, when you're dreaming about making music and going on tour and going to the after parties and just experiencing this life, Chris was like, all right, we're done. Let's get in the bus. We're going to the next city. I was like, what are you talking about? Like. This after party and iced teas over here talking all crazy. Like, no, we're getting in the bus. We're going, and that was that was him, you know. And I've taken taken that on. Launching off the project, we hope that you will subject this group to be your object and never ever reject the tribe who meanders through drunken propaganda. Keep it in bloom and never will we slander. Redeem should be handed. Don't let me demand it. Money gives a nudge to the. Um, with Dilla, he was a master. He was a genius. He, um, he was perplexing in the sense that we understood his method of listening to a record. And from where it began to where it ended, we were like, oh, OK. But to actually watch Dilla be Dilla mm. when Q-Tip and I are pretty dope producers. Yeah. You know, we had two classic albums, considered classics. Maybe more. More, thank you. But I'm talking about the time that, like, I'm speaking, okay, up until the time that we met Dylan. Oh, okay. So yeah. we had People's yeah. Instinct to Travels, Law and Theory, Midnight Marauders. We're, we didn't get to Beach Runs in Life yet. We meet Dilla off of Midnight Marauders. We Two classics. We meet Dilla, and he's in the studio, and Tip and I are just looking at him like, he's an alien, man. I mean, <laughs> we took, I don't know, like maybe 12, 18 months to make albums. Dilla would listen to a record and chop it up. It's like 15 minutes. It's just cooked and 
you're just like staring at him like, Mm. <laughs> no words. I cannot find the words. He was he was blessed, um, extremely quiet, um, brilliant thinker. Really understood the culture of hip hop. Understood music. Um, wanted to break down the business aspect of what producers and and artists specifically in the genre of hip hop were paid and he wanted to make sure you know that things were justified he brought his mom ma dukes we had to talk to maureen <laughs> about anything related to dylan until he kind of shifted and was like all right i'm part of the uma which is q-tip dylan and i yeah um but that was his, he was very focused. Mm. Um, Fife, I don't even know. I'm still, that's still a soft one. Of course. Um, for me, he was my brother. Um, and he was the fire starter of a tribe called Quest. You know, he's the little great thing from New York streets. Like he said it, you know, but he was also such a loving soul. Um, and he had to fight for everything, mm. everything. He had to fight for that, that spotlight. And I guess I was his big brother. And, and Q-Tip was his other big brother, but I was like the middle brother, I guess, who got the phone calls from both sides. <laughs> I bet. And... I just miss him, man. I don't, you know, like, so weird. Um, I just recently worked on this Luther Vandross project, which um, Luther Vandross estate gave my production partner, Adrian Young, and I all of Luther's masters to do something beautiful with it. Uh, and so we had uh, a party just this week to p begin the process of revealing this project and it was a mix that I did for um never too much you must have known that I had feelings deep enough to swim in that's when you opened up your heart and you told me to come and and I was just listening to it, and I've been sitting with Luther's vocals for nine months, so much so that one day I was listening to Part-Time Lover in my headphones, and I never knew that Luther was on that song. Mm. And all of a sudden, in the headphones, Luther's voice just popped up, and I jumped. I was like, I'm working too much on this project. <laughs> I was like, I'm hearing Luther's voice on Stevie Wonder's record. What is going on? I had to go Google. I was like, there's no way. I'm, and I see that. I was like, oh, okay, I'm not losing my brain. But anyway... I'm listening to Never Too Much just the other day, and I just started crying. Not because I have not cried. I've mm -hmm. cried during this project because Luther Vandross was a phenomenal writer about love and loss of love and yearning for it. And I did because I remembered in that moment, getting ready for this party, that Fife asked me to make the music for his wedding. 
mm. mixtape. And I don't make mixtapes. So I made one for Fife and Disha. And I remembered in that moment that I put that song on there. Yeah. And. Of course. There's little things like that that, that I cannot find the words. He was my brother. You know, I, I, I'll leave it as simply as saying he was my brother. But what did that mean? You know, I watched someone struggle to find a partner, a life partner. Hmm. And he found the best life partner. So much so, if you don't know the story that was revealed in the Beach Rhymes and Life movie that she gave her kidney for him to live. You know, so. Yeah. And not to mention all the other fun things we did with the Tribe Called Quest and touring the world and leaving New York and leaving America and discovering, you know, getting booed at France and then <laughs> people in France hated us. And then we was like, yo, we can't come back. We can't wait to come back like conquerors, like <laughs> going to lay this American flag and this New York City flag and y'all going y'all gonna to bow down to us. And like... Not exactly like that, <laughs> but so much so when we went back to France, it was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, did all those things with Fife and Q-Tip, so, That's great. you know. Um, Thanks for sharing that. Well, thank you. If you're enjoying this one, uh, let's go back in Rebel Radio archives. We have, this is our third year anniversary. You can check out last year's two-year anniversary episode with a fantastic DJ and festival promoter Zen Freeman, really interesting dude who's built a, a pretty unique career. You might want to check that one out. Good stuff on Rebel Radio. And of course, let's finish up now with Ali Shaheed Muhammad. Okay, I'm going to lighten it up. So when you first start seeing some money, what's the dumbest thing you bought? Because <laughs> you seem very responsible. I've seen you talk about managing your money. I, I've never bought anything stupid. Come but on. I will say, no, I, I promise you, so much, so much so that business managers would say, <laughs> wow, you're all right with money. <laughs> Like, you know, they have other clients that's doing all these, like, and they would look at me and just go, you know what? You actually, if you wanted to, you're good with it. But <laughs> it's because I didn't grow up with the silver spoon in my mouth. My mom was a single parent. She worked hard right. to, to take care of my sister and I. And so I value and appreciate her efforts and um, had a job at the age of 12 you know, working with a neighbor who was a contractor and doing iron work, making welding, making fences for their homes and putting up sheetrock and like at the age of 12 and couldn't wait till I could really work. And I got a, hired at the Wiz, which was a record store and records and electronic store in New York City. Mm. And my uncle was a manager there and, and did all my paperwork. And my first day at work and the manager comes over, he's like, yo, man, you 14? <laughs> I was like, yeah. I mean, it's a record store. I'm thinking about all the records I'm going to buy. Like, uh -huh. He's like, you cannot work here. <laughs> um, so 
anyway, that's that part. But I will say, it's not that I have not had financial challenges, because I have. Sure. One huge mistake that happens in the music industry, and if anyone here is aspiring to music or not even, and you get into a situation where someone says, I'd like to introduce you to this business manager. <laughs> Do your research, hesitate, take a step. Let me tell you about the snakes, the fakes, the lies, the highs, and all of these industry shingdings. Will you see the pretty girls in the high animated world? Take it for a rapper with all the dough. If you take a shit, they want to know. And if you're gonna fall, they won't be around, y'all. First of all, in this, like, we're, it's, the times are different now, so most of my bookkeeping I could do right here. I don't need a business manager for that. The business manager comes in handy when you're dealing with certain tax laws and um, especially as a touring musician, making sure that insurance and things you're protected in case, excuse me, someone gets hurt at one of your functions and stuff like that. So there's a necessity. However, there's a huge practice to immediately you manage someone and you send them directly to a business manager who's supposed to help manage your money. And when you're 18 and you're giving, giving 200, 500, $12 million, nothing in life really makes sense in terms of finances. Yeah. And they are operating sort of, sort of in autopilot. It's like, okay, we got you in, we're gonna put you in this program, we're gonna put you in that program. And none of those programs really help who you are and help cultivate your, your money. There are buildings that I could have bought when I was 19 had there been a proper education. Sure. And so, unfortunately, I had business managers that no one, has ever stolen money from me, but if you don't pay the IRS, <laughs> That's you know, and, 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 and not to place all of that solely on the IRS, I think in America specifically, if it's mandatory that we have to pay the taxes, as we all know, they should make it mandatory that your taxes get collected from your income. We are considered independent contractors. So it's like, yeah, sure, I'll pay you 20,000, 30,000 to do this gig, Mm-hmm. And you have to go, okay, let me take this and put this aside. That's not necessarily on your mind if you're thinking, tonight I'm in here in, in Arizona, tomorrow I'm in Minnesota, tomorrow I'm in Italy. Like, and you're just, that's what you're doing. You're not thinking about these things. And you're paying whatever you're, you, you need to do. Sure. Uh, my point is that, that I, I think that America should make it so. Whoever's paying you, it gets collected so that you're not doing all this hard work in 10 years, you're taken off to jail. Right. So, you know, you're talking about some of the challenges, I think, that young artists, and and like you said, it's not limited to that, but, you know, especially, uh, you know, music is one of the few businesses where you can get successful really quickly or you can reach a certain level really fast yeah and i've and what i've noticed is that that pushes a lot of young people into situations that they're just not prepared for yeah you 18 you're not thinking about you're right 19 i mean 
So, and uh, at the same time, you've been um, really critical of young rappers today. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, there's a quote that I want to ask you Lay about. my words back on me. No, it's, no this, is, it's this that, is... That's that wave I was talking about. This is brilliant, um, but I want to understand it. So you said the state of hip-hop is upsetting. I know what my blood, sweat, and tears have done for the genre and for humanity. And it's extremely frustrating sometimes knowing the power other rappers have and how it's abused. Mm. So I think, you know, guys like me who came up in, in the same era as you and, and hip hop and that music meant a certain thing to us. I think there's a innately I get what you're talking about. But what are you talking about? Very simple. It, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about broadcasting and energy. I believe in things maybe differently than others. And if you're 19 and someone tells you that this $500,000 that I just paid you to make this song, I need it made this way. And you're like, yep, I'm getting out of the trap house. I'm getting my family out of this neighborhood. I'm going to put food on my table, food on my, my brother's table, as you tell me to do it. It's poison, but I don't see it as poison. Mm. And that poison not going to touch me anyway. That's what I'm talking about. Now, you can say that to someone that's young and say, that's poison, and it's going to affect other people. I don't give a shit about other people. Right. Excuse me. Yeah. Okay, it's going to affect you. I'm invincible. Yeah, you're 18. Yeah, you, you, you know. So, yeah. you live your life, I'm going to live my life. And the way I'm going to live my life with this package, this nice purse I have here, I don't really care what you think about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm talking about. And so, I feel that it's okay. Express yourself. Do whatever you want to do. It's just life have, has consequences. And specifically understanding that this hip-hop genre and culture was built off of people not having, people being oppressed, people um, um, not having opportunity. They can't find employment. People in economic conditions that caused them to do things that now they've lost their freedom, but now they're out and they cannot get a job even though they've change their lifestyle. Um, this, this, this genre was created out of people not believing in you or thinking that your life has value and discounting you as being a human being. And so hip hop was created out of people like, nah, I'm a human being. I matter. My community matters. Um, and we're going to party and celebrate and express that and we're not going to deal with life the way that you're trying to place it on us and deal with your education the way that you you say if we go and do it your method your way that's going to elevate us nah you guys don't understand us we're doing our own thing sure that's what hip-hop was built on and then you have a younger generation 
who's separated from the origin and they don't have the understanding or appreciation of that. And so then they go in and add poison back into the system, not understanding their value, mm-hmm. that they, they have worth. Um, and so I'm critical, not in the sense of you're not entitled to your artistic license and artistic freedom, but I'm critical because at some point you have to look at the destructive nature and say, yo, it's destructive. Yeah. It feels good, but it's destructive. You can do, you know, uh, whatever the pills that are popular now. You can do all that to the, to the nines to live whatever fantasy is in your head or that you, can, you feel you cannot touch it. Yes, but it's destructive. And so let me, let me just finish this. Yeah, I know, because I know you want to open it up to the floor. Um, and so as someone who has underst- I've understood the origin of this art form that I've been blessed to be a part of and have tried to do things that will allow the next generation to stand taller, to do greater things, and to watch them destroy it. I cannot just sit here on the sideline and be like, it's not gonna affect me. Nah, that poison will affect me in some some capacity. So, and my criticism is not to, to, to again, come off in, in, in a condescending way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just to say, yo, stop the dumbness. Just stop it. So what do you think? I mean, I, I get it. I agree. And yet, you know, we both know the reality of uh, a young person hearing those messages in the context of the reality that they're facing, right? So what's the solution? The solution is education. The solution is bringing people into the room. I mean, you know, if this backdrop, this, this, <clears throat> this screen was on fire and no one is yelling that it's on fire, but everyone else is walking out the room <laughs> and you and I are just sitting here con- having a conversation and something bad is going to happen, right? So yeah. the solution <clears throat> is to yell fire to wake us up, bring us in the room, have a conversation, um, show the younger generation that, you know what? At some point in time, this art form didn't exist. It existed. Economically, it was changing and improving young minorities' situations. The message was getting out that was transforming government and legislation was calling into question how the police were dealing with the young black men, young Latinos in the, in the communities, to the point that now you cannot, as an officer with the shield and the, the law, to uh, address the law in the way you think you should. No, to be accountable. Like, that's what this music was doing. Right. And at some point, it took a shift. So you bring them in and ask them, why? Why do you think? 
Yeah. Why is now the the bad? I'm using the word bad music because to me some of it is. Why are these bad messages now? You know, and the balance is like this. So that's, yeah, and, that's a part I think. Well, and it's interesting because you know. I've seen Tribe Called Quest labeled as alternative hip hop, which I, that term bothers me. And backpacker. Uh, backpacker, you know, it, well, so all those terms, I think are, they're, uh, they're imperfect at best. But I think my point is, I think in, in that era and, and throughout hip hop's history, there's been a variety of messages, a variety of topics, a variety of uh, sounds and styles covered. But it does feel like at this moment, most certainly most of the commercial energy and, and maybe a lot of the creative energy is all kind of leaning in one direction. It, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Like the balance, the scales are like, it's, it's way different. And from a creative, you want balance. You want there to be, okay, if there's something in what you're saying, like for an example, uh, what's future song called Mask Off? Mm. If you listen to the surface part of that song, you think he's not really saying much. He's saying so much in that song. It's educational, you know? Um, and I think a song like that is important. It's equally as important as um, um, My Mind's Playing Tricks on Me by the Ghetto Boys. You listen to some of the other Ghetto Boys music prior to that, you may go, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That Houston place sounds a little suspect and you talking crazy, right? <laughs> but you have to, you know, so they, they place balance in their music. Yeah. And it's important, I think, to just show that. But also, it's equally, like, what we don't hear enough of is that I think something politically is driving those forces for that music to be successful. Absolutely. And why is that? Because it leaves us entertained, distracted, disconnected, not really caring. We're so numb. Uh, life is not really worth anything. I can steal from you. I'm just going to borrow this nice thing that you created. It's now mine. I own it. Like, all these things are to control us and to keep us mm-hmm. from gathering. Now nah, we're just going to... I'm going to protest right here and say, yeah, I like that sign that says yeah. <laughs> the hip hop music right now got you in the club, you zannied out. <laughs> You're just talking slow. You're not really meaning anything, but you sounding so deep and repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. <laughs> like, 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 like. They, that's where we are now, man. Yeah. Frustrating to an old guy like me. For sure. And I and I and I have a lot of creative life in me. 
I don't know. I, I mean, I, my grandmother is telling me when people who look like me couldn't do certain things. Like, she still is connected to those ideas. Yeah, for sure. And we see it somewhat in America now. I mean, I'm happy Trump is here. Mm-hmm. He's a wake-up call. But these rappers not talking. Some not. Some are. But the ones that's um, streaming well, getting paid nicely, they're not. And they, if they are, it's not full-fledged enough to be revolutionary. So, First of all, uh, on microphone check, who has surprised you the most with the interview? Rick Ross. Mm. Because Rick... Okay, with microphone check, the objective is to just, as an artist, I understand how an artist thinks. And you, when there's a radio interview or a show and they're promoting their record, you might not really get to feel who that person is. And even though they're giving you a record to kind of get a connection, you don't. And right. so with Microphone Check, I wanted it to be a, a home where artists can just be themselves. And I did not want to take my personal thoughts and feel, make an artist feel like I'm biased against them. So I try to keep my personal feelings in check. Rick Ross, I don't always wholly agree with his music. <laughs> and I try to let that person sit there and just be themselves and put it out, but I had to let them know, like, you know, you could say things differently, Rick. And he said, you're absolutely right. And okay. I actually, moving forward from this point forward, I'm, I think I will. Wow. And he, he, his music has evolved since he's, he made that, that testament. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, my last one. Who's your favorite DJ of all time? That's not fair. I know. <laughs> Give it up for Ali Shaheed Muhammad. Thank you. Give it up for Josh Levine. And Rebel Radio, thank you. Man, come back. Let's do it again. Oh, and check out Microphone Check. It's on Spotify right now. And, um, Definitely. You know, you don't have to have a premium account to, to get a taste. <laughs> That's right. And thank you so much for sharing your time with me. Thank you all. Yo, that was Ali Shahi Muhammad coming at you live from the L.A. Times Festival of Books news story. Thanks again to L.A. Times. Leave us a comment, a review on iTunes. Hit us on Twitter, Facebook, at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.